Get in line. Notes from a trucker convoy in Indianapolis, Indiana. Supporters of the People's Convoy persuaded me to get in line on Tuesday, March 1st and drive with them from Sullivan, Missouri to Indianapolis, Indiana. I noticed several vehicles adorned with flags and messages in the parking lot of the Super 8 where I had stayed the night before. In the morning, a group of seven people gathered in the small lobby and talked about the convoy. A woman, I'll call her M, asked me, Did you see that one yesterday on top of them rocks waving a flag? I told her I knew exactly who she was talking about. There had been a man on a rocky promontory next to the interstate waving a flag in big figure eights. I wish I had gotten a picture of that one. It touched my heart, M said. Then she pointed at the TV and everyone hushed because the local news was doing a segment on the convoy. Finally, we are getting some coverage, someone said. The reporter said there were 30 trucks. Several supporters took issue with this, pointing out that the footage and numbers were from when the convoy started in California and that it had grown since then. This conversation typified several I had where distrust of corporate media was espoused while at the same time a desire for more coverage by the same was expressed. Here I include a picture of a van that says the media is the virus. The convoy had overnighted in Cuba, Missouri, about 30 minutes southwest of us. A member of our group got a text saying it was time to roll out. It did not take much convincing for me to agree to join them. However, when Cade saw my 97 Camry lacking flags and paint, he told me I needed to put something on there so that the other members of the convoy would know I was a part of it. Sherry quickly supplied a brush and a container of red paint that she promised was water-soluble. I wrote Freedom Convoy on my back window in less than 30 seconds. Then we drove across the overpass and parked on the side of the on-ramp. Here I include a picture of the Camry with a Freedom Convoy on the back. I posted my first live stream as the convoy began to roll by. It was exciting. The trucks were moving faster than the day before when I had watched them on a side street in St. Robert, Missouri. It took about 10 minutes for the 85 or so big rigs to go by. Then an RV slowed and let us in. It is important to note I have seen zero Confederate flags and zero Nazi symbols. None on any vehicles in the convoy, none on the side of the road or overpasses. The drive through Missouri was slow but smooth. The drive through Illinois was rougher. The state police had made it known that there would be legal consequences for anyone participating in the convoy. Officers in other states helped direct traffic at exits and on-ramps. Under advice from my cousin, who has a CDL, I picked up a handheld CB earlier in the trip. Based on the chatter, I gathered that the Illinois State Police did not help facilitate the convoy's safe passage. Once we crossed into Illinois, the convoy sped up and slowed down unpredictably. I was grateful for the CB because someone would say, Brake check! Followed by a mile marker, letting me know I needed to be prepared to stop. I saw two near, near misses, and the eerie smell of burning brakes filled the air several times. Still, there were no collisions, thank God. Once again, there were supporters on every overpass along the route. Here I include two pictures of overpasses. 
and along the side of the road. Here I include a picture of a lone truck with three men standing in it waving a flag in a field. After four hours, I pulled off, got gas, and ate a peanut butter and honey sandwich I had made that morning. It took me about half an hour to catch back up with the convoy. Members of the convoy are easy to spot with their decorated vehicles. They also drive in the right lane and keep their flashers on. Two miles before our exit, the convoy moved to the shoulder. From there, we slow-belled it to Ted Everett Farm Equipment, where the convoy stopped. There are few places big enough to accommodate the convoy. The organizers have uh, done an excellent job of finding them. Supporters lined both sides of the street at the exit. The Indiana State Police directed traffic. God bless them. There was a sense of jubilation and accomplishment in reaching the destination together. The 288-mile drive took approximately eight hours, about double what it would have taken driving solo. Volunteers helped uh, vehicles park and pointed out where the porta-potties were located. I met a musician named James Williams. He told me he was playing band tunes. Before the time of corona, he supported himself by playing mostly pop songs. Since he chose not to take the injections, he was banned from the establishments he once performed at. He performed a song for me that appears at the end of the recording for this post. It reminded me of that scene at the beginning of Braveheart after William Wallace's father dies. He wakes to the sound of bagpipes in the middle of the night. He goes outside and asks his uncle what the men on the hill are doing. Playing outlawed tunes on outlawed pipes, his uncle responds. Here I include a picture of uh, James playing as the convoy continues um, to drive behind him. In line for the chuck wagon, a man named Brett, who joined in Missouri, told me that he thought the convoy would become an annual event. I'm sure I'm not the first one to think of that, he said confidently. Another man had said to me, this will be the last peaceful protest. Echoing a sentiment, others shared that the convoy is the first and last of its kind, a transcontinental Hail Mary. Our forebearers established this country from east to west, and the convoy, intentionally or not, is trying to reestablish it by retracing that migration. I also met a man named Caleb from Colorado. He told me he had found the owl feather he wore in the band of his cowboy hat. The people who hand, had hand-fit his cowboy hat told him that the feather was bad luck because owls are harbingers of death. But after three years, he said... I've had pretty good luck. All the big rigs were parked on one side of the compound. They had circled up to allow people to gather. Several truckers spoke from the back of a semi using a bullhorn. One reoccurring theme was how at the beginning of the response to COVID, when so many others stopped working, truck drivers did not. Several shared stories about not being able to use bathrooms or buy food in those early days, and how now government overreach, not a virus, was preventing them from working. A trucker named Christian, who goes by the handle Two-Step, talked about embracing standing out. He described how his young age, tall height, and skin color made him not look like your average trucker. He and his brother drive the truck Faith Over Fear. A woman who had been a trucker for 16 years talked about how her grandfather fought in World War II. He was the one who gave her the handle, Ramblin' Rose. She then laid the country's problem at the feet of, quote, the demon-crats. 
I spotted Neil in the crowd, one of those I'd met at the Super 8 that morning. He came over and told me that he did not think the divisive rhetoric was helpful. If the media gets one whiff of that, that's all they'll run. He thought the focus should be on the convoy's growing numbers. He said he had walked the lot and claimed to have counted a cool 100 semis. Then he pointed to the assembled trucks and the sun going down and said, Isn't it something? <laughs> yeah, that was awesome.